Welcome back to another Yak Podcast. It's our last Yak Podcast of the year um, as we round out our season for Yak. Uh, thank you for joining us every week. Um, this week we're covering tactics. Uh, how do we move from the scholarship to the relationship? Um, I'm indebted to Greg Kokel and his book Tactics on this. This is just a primer for the students. I highly suggest picking it up and reading it. Thanks for tuning in. Um, let's review. Um, you already said the answer, but Ian, here's the marker. Marker is on the table. The cow on the counter. Why is the marker on? Why is that true, Ian? Because it is. It's not true because you see it. It's not true because I taste it or someone told me. It's true because the marker is on the table. The marker is the object of that truth. And we've talked about it a lot now. Um, if this is the marker and it's on the table, it's the object of truth. It is not found in the subject. Okay. It's not found in the subject of the eye. Okay. It's not how you see it. It's not. Truth is found in the object, not the subject. How do we know that we can know truth is epistemology. Epistemology means what, Preston? Uh, I want you to know big words because you're going to learn to be big people. Good job. Study of knowledge. Okay? Study of knowledge is epistemology. There are four ways in which we can know things. Zach, because you're eager, give yeah. me one way in which you can know something. Empiricism. Man, that's a big word. Yeah. Empiricism. Empiricism is what, Sarah Ann? Using the senses. So using the five senses. I see that it's light in here. It smells like books. Okay? Um, it, we use our senses. Science is the study using the senses, our five senses. That's what science is limited to, is the taking in of empirical data. Okay? What is another way that we gain knowledge, Jordan? Man, that's my favorite one, and my least favorite one at the exact same time. What is the example I use all the time with ISA with... Uh, Andrew. My stomach hurts. I can't take the time. My stomach hurts. So, Soy, your first time with us. ISA is immediate sensor awareness. Uh, my stomach hurts. Well, that's one way I know something, but if you're telling me that, I have no way of verifying it. I used to teach. A student comes up to me in the middle of class. I can't take the test, Mr. Swanson. My stomach hurts. I have no way of knowing that. You might be telling the truth, immediate sensory awareness, but I can't tell. What's another way that we can know things? Oh, okay. Again, we figured it out. ISA, the limitations are no one else outside of you can know it. What's the limitations of empiricism? Yeah, empiricism uh, does not... Exactly. I mean, honestly, that's the philosophical answer. You're not infinite, so you can't feel, touch, see, taste, everything. Okay? Um, what are some other ways we know things... I'm coming to you eventually, so you better have it open. Right. Okay, I'm just warning you ahead of time. You're going to do the fourth one. So whatever the third one is, you're going to do the fourth way of knowing things. Uh, Olivia, what's the third one? Authority. Okay. 
Peyton, if you have a law question, you should, you should call up who? A lawyer. a lawyer. If you have a marine biology question, you should call up who? Benjamin. Marine biology. A marine biologist. No Authorities are good ways of knowing things or knowing something to be true. Okay? What's the limitations to an authority? Yeah, simple. They can be wrong. Psychology. There are like 60, 70 different schools of psychological thought, many of which have contradictions within their own systems, which means they have contradictions. Can they all be right? No. no. Wait, what do you use your head? It's amazing. Last one is one of my favorites. You use it probably the most regularly, and that is what? Rationality. Rationality. Your delivery was top of the notch. Or reason. Those are way, those are just when sentences make sense. All bachelors are blank type of men. Unmarried. How do we know this? Because they're bachelors. Because they're bachelors. Reason, reason determines that all bachelors are unmarried men. We did not have to empirically go to every bachelor in the planet, on the planet and ask them, are you married, are you married, are you married, are you married? We didn't have to do that because rationally we came to that conclusion. It's wonderful. So rationality is just knowing words and understanding their meaning. We use it all the time when it comes to tests for truth. What is the limitations of rationalism? What are some limitations of rationalism? There's no investigation. You can't rationally come to the conclusion of what temperature to bake brownies. You can't. You can't be like, hmm, I'll rationally determine just in my thought process of my head. No, you have to have some way tested baking before. Okay? Right? Those are the ways we know things. All of them work together. What is the way, what is the test for this that I always give an example of um, for what is the main way that we use all this? It was an example. Zach, because you're eager to do A job interview. If, if I am interviewing you for a job, I'm going to do all of them. Okay? When I was um, hiring for camp, I rationally looked at their resume. I empirically called people that would know them, authorities in their life. I put them to the test. Can you lead a game? Can you sing songs for students and be okay with it? And then when they shook my hand, I had an immediate sensor awareness of whether this was somebody who was confident or whether this was somebody who was the runt of the litter and I should not hire. Okay? Um, you have that immediate sensor awareness. You do this all the time. You use all four of these all the time. And you should use all of them and different ones depending on the circumstance, which is awesome. We had from here, we talked about three tests for God. Okay? What was one of the arguments for the existence of God that we talked about in this class? Cosmological. Cosmological. Man, that's another big word, Sam. You're throwing out big words at me today. Cosmological arguments. Who can give me the cosmological argument? By who can give me, I mean Micaiah. Can you give me the cosmological argument for the existence of God? Okay, that's premise one. Give me premise two. Excellent. And number three. Put this one to memory. You will use this one when interacting with an atheist more than any other one. And the fact is, most of them agree with the first two premises, so the third premise is undeniable. It's nice. 
Everything that has a beginning has a cause. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay? The universe had a beginning. Modern astronomy, Big Bang cosmology, actually is the leading theory. And by leading theory, I mean that over 90% of astronomers hold to Big Bang cosmology. So it's not only the leading, it's the dominant theory of cosmology. We just think we know the banger of the Big Bang. Okay? That's the difference between us and them. What's the other argument that we've used? Ben? Teleological. Oh. Nailed it. Mr. Sixth Grader. Teleological. Now, before Webster's calls and wants you all to help out with their latest dictionary, can someone give me the definition of the teleological argument for the existence of God? Do you want, like, premise one, premise Yes, I want, I want the premise side. I don't know if that's it. Uh, you already answered the question. I'm going to give it to Andrew. Uh, I don't know the exact solution. But your friend does with a folder. Yeah, well, I mean, I could, I could, I could give it to you, but I can't give you like the exact solution. Every design has a designer. Good. The universe is designed. That therefore, the universe has a designer. Okay. Every design has a designer. The universe has a design. Therefore, the universe has a designer. Um, again, an easy example is the difference between Mount Rushmore and the Grand Canyon. No one looks at the Grand Canyon and be like, that is the most chiseled piece of art I've ever seen in my life. Because it literally would have to be. That's a huge, huge piece of art if that was chiseled. But no one at the same time looks at Mount Rushmore and goes, the winds are super creative right about here. They look like four of the greatest presidents I have ever seen in my life. This is amazing. And it's the same thing. We looked at the heavens and we looked at our biology. We covered two weeks of teleology. The heavens, the, um, the uh, variants in cosmology point to a designer. Um, the levels of gravity, the tilt, everything. It's like life is specifically made for this portion of the cosmos. And then we look down at the, um, the cell. Um, you have one small single-cell organism has as much information as what? Like 120 encyclopedias. That's the nucleus. So the cell itself has a thousand, uh, as much information as a thousand copies of the Encyclopedia Britannica. That's hard for you to imagine because you didn't have the Encyclopedia Britannica growing up. When we went to the library when I was little, we had the Encyclopedia Britannica that we would like look through at you know fun time when it was rainy day at the library. You guys have Wikipedia. I need to find the Wikipedia variant. It's a lot because encyclopedias are thick. They're not like magazines. Okay. The last argument is the moral argument. Okay, that's the easiest one. By easiest, I mean we can all say moral and not twist our tongues. Um, who has not answered for me yet? Melissa keeps looking down because she's scared. Uh, you don't have your, your at home watching Star Wars this week? Sawyer. Um, we actually talked about this at school. Like, um, um, like Darwin said, like, the whole thing is right and wrong. Okay. And if there wasn't a God, there would be no such thing as right and wrong. Very good. So you're talking the outcome of the moral argument, which is what we talked about for a week. That's perfect. So who can give me the actual moral argument? If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. Objective morals exist. Therefore, God exists. Good. Um, we talked about this. It's just easy. This is where a lot of ISA comes in handy. If someone says, well, I don't, you know, I don't believe in God. I, 
the problem of evil is thrown up a lot in this uh, scenario. Well, if God exists, there's evil in the world. And it's really easy to direct that situation to be like, so you believe in evil. Where do you get that concept without God? So now you're in charge of the conversation instead of them trying to dictate it. Okay? So we talked about those three things over the course of the last couple weeks. Okay? And then we talked about how can we know, how can we trust the Bible, how can we trust the disciples. Um, and the last one, oh, that was, and then formation of canon. Um, Kristen's not here. I did look up her question. She had a question about the Apocrypha a couple weeks ago. None of the phony Gospels, Gospel of Judas, Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Clement, um, all those things are in the Apocrypha. All of those are Old Testament. <coughs> the Apocrypha is strictly Old Testament literature. Okay? So for those of you that care, you, you, there's your answer. For those of you that don't, ignore what I just said. Okay? Uh, today, this is where scholarship meets relationship. Today we're talking about the difference between how do I put all these facts into practice? How do I have a conversation about these things that we've talked about? Um, and so, what do we do with this knowledge? Now that you, a lot of you have been trained for the first time, so you've been trained for the second time, what do I do with it? Okay, I know the cosmological argument. Put that in my back pocket. That's a trading card that I can carry around with me. Like, what do I do with this knowledge? Um, first, I want to make something clear. We have to talk about the goal when we're talking about apologetics and evangelism. There's really two trades of thoughts when it comes to evangelism. And I have my unique phrasing for it, mostly to not offend anybody, but let me give you my unique phrasing. And that is, there's the, um, there's the group of people that's goal is to get to the gospel by any means necessary. My goal by the end of the conversation is to share the gospel with this individual. And I love their vigor. I love what they bring to the table. Um, and I think when we lived in a Christian culture, that was much easier to get to. Um, we don't live in a Christian culture anymore. We live in, I wouldn't even say a post-Christian Christian culture, but in many regards, we live in an anti-Christian culture. We don't see it nearly as vigorously, I think, because we live in Texas. But this is an anti-Christian culture. So, I mean, we even discovered it when we were at the park. The two ladies we shared the gospel with on Saturday had never heard the gospel before in their life. Those ideas were completely foreign to them. You mean God loves me enough to send a son to take the penalty for my sin? It left one woman in your tears because she had never understood. Those concepts were completely new to her. So the goal, the getting to the gospel there, for her, she was open to it. Um, but if she was anti to it, sometimes you're not going to get there because they're going to shut you down to begin with. The other school of thought is what I consider moving towards the gospel. And some of you, you know, some of you are not, you're just not versed enough yet in the Christian faith to where you feel like you can be a closer. I can't bring some, I'm not going to harvest, I'm not going to go out tomorrow to the mall and bring three people to Christ. You know what I mean? Um, some of you are still at the point where you're terrified about even mentioning Jesus' name in public. And I want you to know for right now that's fine. You can't be there your whole life. Okay? You need to be moving and working towards this goal. We're going to push it hard next year. Um, but the goal, of, for me, I like the moving people towards the gospel. Because you're going to have a lot of conversations that come up where they're way out in left field. Just way out in left field. And you're like, how do I even, 
deal with this? How am I going to bring the gospel? He's talking about evolution. How am I going to bring the gospel into this? Well, maybe the goal for the day is just to put a stone in their shoe to make them think about it so that the next time you have a conversation, you're closer to sharing the gospel with them. Does that make sense? Harvesting, all of you that are farmers in here, harvesting is the last portion of the gardening process. There's a lot of gardening that goes into it. And I think the more we live in an anti-Christian culture, the more gardening that we're going to have to do. And gardening is just having conversations with people that are spiritual, that begin to create these spheres of ideas in their minds to lead people towards the gospel. Does that make sense? Because if you're a materialist, the gospel means nothing to you. You have to be um, now suddenly skeptical of your materialism before you even get to the gospel. A materialist is someone who believes that the only thing that's real is matter. Okay? So, let me talk about this. And I think the gospel points to this. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 16-21. It's one of my favorite verses. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Wow, it's all about reconciliation, this section. Who would have thought? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the beauty of this. You are identified in that section of scripture. You are a new creation. Hallelujah. But what does that mean as you're a new creation? That means that you are now in the business of reconciliation. You're an ambassador of God. From the moment of you becoming a new creation, you don't graduate in a week like Jay has or like Matt and Kiana will um, or Aiden, where suddenly we put a blue ribbon on you and you're like, you're now an ambassador. High five. No, the moment you're in Christ, you are now, according to the Bible, according to God, ambassadors, which means that whatever comes out of your mouth, whatever attitude you have towards the world, there you are now the ambassador of the king. So if you are a crummy person at school, the Bible that your friends are reading are you. Does that make sense? You are an ambassador to the king. That's hard for us to understand in a culture where we are a democracy. But you are an ambassador without uttering a single word of apologetics or evangelism. So how do we become good ambassadors? How do we ask questions? How do we move from the theological to the relationship. Um, how do we move from the converse, oh, the, the logic to the conversation? This is what we're going to be talking about today, just briefly. In the next 15 minutes, I'm going to give you two questions, two questions that will help you navigate your way through any spiritual conversation, any spiritual conversations, even if you haven't paid attention or been present for the last three months. You are going to, at the end of the next 15 minutes, you will know how to transverse every single spiritual conversation that you're about to have. This is the tactics to our apologetics. It's wonderful, okay? 
Um, remember, if the goal is moving towards the gospel and not getting to the gospel on the first step, then we just get to be very inquisitive. That's all we have to be, is inquisitive and interested in other people. So I did uh, jail ministry with my father-in-law, um, and I've done it with him three times. And you go into the jail, so this is not prison. So prison, you're, com- you're convicted of a crime, you're, you're going to be in jail for a while. That's a prison. Over a year sentence, you're sent to a prison. Jail is when you've been arrested, you're awaiting trial, um, or you're serving a sentence that is underneath a year. Okay? <coughs> So jail is, okay, timeout, essentially, okay? Uh, you can't um, get drunk and then pee on your neighbor's wall. Um, you can't. Um, you're going to spend some time in jail. So I got to do some jail ministry um, with my father-in-law, and they bring in one cell block at a time, okay? Um, it's a, I, I enjoy it thoroughly because two things happen. One, as an ambassador... All I have to do to love them is treat them like men. Because the rest of the people they interact with treat them like scum and prisoners. So all i got to do is stand up, shake their hand like a grown man, and introduce myself and know their name. Prison ministry is awesome in that regard. Okay, So if you're ever interested in that down the road, it shouldn't be scary to you. Guys and girls. Just shake their hand, love them. Okay? I was terrified the first time, and then I'm like, oh, you're just like me, except you got caught. Um, so I'm interacting with them Not the whole peeing on the neighbor's wall thing This is recorded It wasn't me um, So One of the things is we just take them through a simple gospel presentation um, And suddenly At the very end So we got 20 minutes with these guys we introduce themselves. We say, how can we pray for you? A lot of them are asking us to pray for their families or on the outside. They got kids. They got wives that are worried about them and scared. And what am I going to do since my husband or my dad is not here? They would always pray for them. And then we'd lead them in a simple you know, message for the week. A lot of times they would gospel presentation. Well, two minutes at the end of this. We got a room full of 16 guys. It's our largest cell block. And one of these guys starts, you can't believe any of this crap. He used some different language, but I'm not going to subject it again. You can't believe any of this crap. It's like, oh, you can't trust anything in the Bible. It's all made up. We can't know what the author said is actually true. What do you do? Maybe you've been in that situation at a lunch table. I'm sitting around at a family reunion with people that are unbelievers where they suddenly throw out a challenge. And everyone's kind of shocked by it because it's kind of out of the blue or it's a little bit, you know, well, we don't talk about that here, okay? And you have a 10-second window. You only got a 10-second window. What do you do? How do you respond to that situation? Well, we're going to follow the lead of Detective Columbo. Okay, so Columbo is this detective. He's super unassuming. He's typically got a stogie in one hand and a pencil in another. So his rain so one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. He's always, he's just a quiz. I'm sorry, it's a habit. Uh, I gotta ask you a question. And for you, in, if you're in a situation like I was in a prison where I got 16 prisoners around me, or all suddenly antsy, or you're at a schoolroom table, or you're at a family reunion, or you fill in the blank on the situation. Here's how you handle the situation. It's the first question that you can ask in any situation. 
that you don't even have to, you aren't defending anything. It's the beauty of it. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? You can fill in the that with the actual subject. I'll go into the rest of the story in a second. So you're, you're, you're at a college or high school lunch table and someone starts a rant about how evolution has disproved God. I've sat on one too many of these lunch table conversations. And what do you go into? Well, let me give you the teleological argument for the existence. No. You don't got to prove a thing. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by evolution? Or one more thing. What do you mean by God? Or one more thing. When you say evolution, do you mean the Darwinian evolution process? Or do you mean that we were created from the goo through the zoo to you? Like, is that, is that were we created out of nothing because some puddle shocked us? Like, all you're asking is, in quest, is, is, is asking good questions. All you're asking to do is to clarify their position. People love to hear themselves talk, especially when it's about their own opinion. So everybody has typically an answer to this question. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean this. Right? Uh, this happens all the time when I get into things like that. Well, I can never, you know, I just don't, I don't think, you know, Jesus is true or the gospel. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like what the church is selling. What do you mean by that? I don't know how many times I get into this conversation with teenagers and I'm like, what do you think the gospel is? And it's just moralistic therapeutic deism. Well, I just got to be good to God and then he's going to save me. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't go to that church either. Suddenly you're on their page. I'm right with you, man. So a lot of times when they're clarifying the statement with the, what do you mean by that? You're going to end up agreeing with them because they think you believe something else. So what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Um, what do you mean by evolution? What do you mean by God? I'm really interested in your thoughts on the subject. You can be a good ambassador. I'm asking you this not to try to paint you in a corner, not to try to be a jerk, but I just really want to know, what do you think about this? It's treating somebody with respect. Who would have thunk it? Okay? Um, do you mean Darwinian evolution or the little pool of goo that is now associated with it? Uh, see, this is where the knowledge of the subject comes in. So I know that early Darwinian theory, they believe some, something zapped a single cell into existence. And three things will happen when you ask this first question. One, you will get an education. Worst case scenario, you now know what someone believes. <laughs> Has there been any arguments or fights or mad? Nope. Because here's, here's, here's something you'll discover if you don't know already. The moment someone raises their voice, the argument's been lost. There's no point in continuing. So try to keep it as calm as possible. And you can do this by saying, yeah, I'm really interested now. What do you think about that? Being interested in the person, not just their argument. Uh, two, well, the other thing will happen is that you'll get the person thinking. Or if they aren't thinking and they're just reciting a tweet, that tickle, or you'll see if they're just reciting a tweet that tickled their fancy. Because unfortunately, people aren't learning to think anymore. People are learning how to recite. And unfortunately, that's the product of the school system. You're not taught how to think. You're taught what to write on the test, fill in the blank. Right? 
So people aren't taught how to think anymore. So sometimes you get them thinking for the first time. And it's freeing. The last thing you'll be able to do with this is you'll be able to put a stone in their shoe. A lot of people, and no offense boys, um, a lot of people, especially teenage boys, will make claims like that. Like, science has completely disproved God. What do you mean by that? And they're just saying it because they're mad at something that's just happened in their lives. And then they get off on this whole tangent. But even in the midst of them trying to answer the question, I'm like, oh, I guess I've answered my own question. It really hasn't disproved God. So you'll be surprised at how much you can answer for somebody by not opening your mouth. Okay? Second question. So the stone comes, the stone that she comes from the second question, and this is my favorite. This is my favorite question. How did you come to that conclusion? How did you come to that conclusion? What do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? What do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? People make claims all the time, and they have absolutely no idea how to back them up. Like evolution has disproved the God question. The fact is, the evolution question and the God question aren't even in the same ballpark. Darwin wasn't trying to disprove God. He was trying to answer how we got here. How did any scientific study, even after Darwinism, attempt to disprove God? None of them. You'll never find a, a scientific out, a, like outline in a scientific journal that says, this is the experiment that disproved God. Because it's not in the ballpark of empirical study. So science can't, by its own limitations, disprove God. Sure, if macroevolution is true, it might remove the need for God, but it doesn't remove God. Just because you've removed the need for something doesn't mean that you've removed it. I need cookie cake on my birthday. But if suddenly that need is gone, that doesn't mean that I still won't get cookie cake on my birthday. Okay? If I've evolved past the need for cookie cake. <laughs> Which is second law of thermodynamics, if actually was gross. Okay? God could have used evolution in his, creative in his creative mechanism, right? I'm not granting that. But I'm saying he could have. There's nothing about evolution that says, well, God couldn't have used that. Nothing. Okay? If the same question, it's the same question my friend asked Brian, my friend Brian asked the guy at the chair. So the guy's gone off on this ramp, we've got two minutes left, you can literally hear the doors opening for the guard to come get the cell block. That's how these guys typically work. I don't have any time for you to give a rebuttal. I'm just going to yell something out in the last two minutes. And Brian said, um, Brian said, uh, what made you come to that conclusion? You can't trust anything in the Bible. Yeah. He's going off on it. What made you come to that conclusion? Well, there are tons of inconsistencies in the Bible. Can you name one? Again, has the guy, uh, has Brian or you in that situation had to give an argument? No. All you're doing is your dilemma. Oh, one more thing. Uh, can you name one? It was silence. Everyone in the room with that last question was silent. Everyone wanted to know. This guy talked a huge game, but he had no answers. Brian took it a step further. He asked the following question after everyone was feeling a little awkward. It's okay to let everyone feel a little bit awkward. He said this, have you read the Bible before? 
And the guy said, well, no. So Brian asked him if he could give him a copy. He didn't say, take a copy. Remember, he's an ambassador. Can I give you this gift? The guy said, sure. And he took it back with him with his cell, which he had some free time to open it up. Okay? He hadn't gotten to the gospel. He actually didn't have time at all. The guard was at back, urging us to end the session. But we were moving towards it. We were moving towards the gospel in that moment. We planted a seed, made the guy rethink whatever someone had said to him, and did it, and he did it, without having to know any of the answers. No, he just had to know the right questions. What do you mean by that? How do you come to that conclusion? With time, I promise you, this becomes second nature. It's wonderful. It won't feel rehearsed. Um, in his book, Tactics, I'm going to read you a section of it. Greg Popel recounts a story he has, and he does this all the time. He's the one that came up with the two questions. That he had with a waitress at a uh, restaurant. I'd like to read it to you. It's quite funny. Well, it's quite informative. Okay? Um, and this is just asking questions. He knows a little bit. You know a little bit now. So you're actually more dangerous with these questions. It's nice. Okay? So let me go to you. Once in a restaurant in Seattle, I got into a chat about religion with a racist serving at my table. My general comments in favor of spirituality were met with an approving nod, but a shadow of disapproval crossed her face when I mentioned that some religious beliefs seemed foolish to me. That's oppressive, she said, not letting people believe what they want to believe. Now, much could be said about this challenge. For example, notice that she took my judgment on religious beliefs as a threat to personal liberty. I ignored the problem, though, and zeroed in on the more fundamental flaw. Do you think I'm wrong when... Do you think I'm wrong then? I asked, using a variation of the first Columbo question. At this, she balked, unwilling to commit the same error she had just accused me of making. No, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just trying to, to understand your view. I chuckled. It's okay if you think I'm wrong. Really, it doesn't bother me. I just wondered why you don't admit it. Like, if you don't think I'm wrong, then why are you correcting me? And if you do think I'm wrong, then why are you oppressing me? <laughs> of course, I didn't think her comment was oppressive. But now I was playing her rules against her. Boxed in, she faltered for a moment, then changed the subject. All religions are basically the same, after all. It was a parry, a stock retort. I suspected it had worked for her before, but now she was trying it on me. But I noticed something about her comment. She had just made a claim, and it was up to her to support it. It's a time for another Columbo question. Religions are basically the same? Really? In what way? What do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? In what way are religions basically the same? My question had a remarkable effect. I was amazed at the impact those simple words had on her. Her jaw fell slack, and her face went blank. She didn't know what to say. She had obviously not thought much about the details of other religions. If she had, she would have known that they were worlds apart. Why the empty claim, then, if she had no idea of its truth? I su suspect she'd gotten away from it before. Finally, after a long pause, she came up with one similarity. Well, all religions teach you you, should, you shouldn't kill people, you shouldn't murder. In point of fact, many religions aren't concerned with morality at all. A distinct of the great monotheistic religions is their concern about ethical conduct. But that's exceptional, not standard. All religions aren't basically this thing. Instead of lecturing her about it, though, I used my question. Consider this, I said. Either Jesus is the Messiah, or he isn't, right? She nodded. So far, so good. If he isn't the Messiah, I continued, 
then the Christians are wrong and the Jews are right. If he is the Messiah, then the Jews are wrong and the Christians are right. So one way or another, somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Under no circumstances can they both be basically the same. Can they? It was straightforward line of thinking that yielded what should have been an uncontroversial conclusion. Yet she ignored my question, regrouped, then continued. Well, no one can ever know the truth about religion. This is another assertion that should never go unchallenged. So I calmly asked, why would you believe a thing like that? It's the same, it's a different variant of the second question. What made you come to that conclusion? Why would you believe a thing like that? The turnaround caught her by surprise. She was used to asking this particular question, not answering it. It was a violation, it was, I was violating the rules. Asking her for a reason for her beliefs that she wasn't prepared for the rule change. I waited patiently, not breaking the silence, not letting her off the hook. Finally, ventured, finally she ventured. But the Bible has been changed and translated so many times over the centuries, you can't trust it. I mean, she's peppering the ballpark. She doesn't know where to go. She's freaked out. And what's he doing every time? He's simply asking questions. Notice two things about her response. First, she had changed the subject once again. The alleged corruption of the Bible had nothing to do with the possibility of knowing religious truth. Even if the Bible vanished from the face of the earth, knowledge of God could still be possible, at least in principle. Second, her dodge was in a form, another claim, an assertion that it was her job to defend, not my job to refute. How do you know the Bible's been changed? I asked. Again, he keeps using the same two questions. He just keeps putting it a different way. How do you know the Bible's been changed? I asked. Have you actually studied the transmission of the ancient documents in the text of the Bible? Once again, the question stalled her. No, I've never studied it, she finally said. This was a remarkable admission, given her confident contention just moments before, but she didn't seem the least bit bothered. I didn't have the heart to say what I might have said in a case like this. Then you're saying you were sure about something you really know nothing about, I might have added. If you've never studied this, how do you know the Bible has been changed as you say? Instead, I simply told her I studied the question extensively, and the academic results were in. The manuscripts were accurate to over 99% precision. The Bible hasn't been changed. She was surprised. Really? By my point, the waitress was running out of comebacks. She watched her op options evaporate one by one and began to get uncomfortable. I feel like you're backing me into a corner, she complained. I wasn't trying to be unkind or bully her intellectually. I listened to what she said and took her point seriously. Yet with each claim she made, I asked a fair question for which she had no answers for. Apparently, she'd never given any thought to the opinions she held with such certainty. She was dumbfounded by the challenges and complained she was being cornered. This young lady was like so many I have encountered. She knew all the popular slogans, but when a fair Columbo questions eliminated foolish options, the truth began closing in on her. This dear person was speechless, not because I was clever, but because I suspect she had never had to defend her own responses. And you're going to get this in the world more often than not. The vast majority of people you're going to interact, interact with know the slogans, but they've not thought it through. Um, if there are two books I would suggest reading, like once a year, they're short books in my mind. And that's this one, Tactics by Greg Kokel. It's a great, great book. Great book. It even says, this is in our library, and Sam Miller is the only one to have checked it out. <laughs> um, you can borrow this from our library. What's the library? Greg Kokel. 
Where's our library? It's in the main lobby. All the orange dots are library books you can check out. Um, as long as you want. Oh, cool. So the card is there. The card is there, and you drop the card in the red bin, and eventually, if other people come looking for it, I hunt you down. So, um, Tactics by Gregory Kogel, Greg Kogel. Great book. Again, short read. The other one is the one we've gone through, we went through last summer, on Silence, um, by James Ricardo. Because when you're asking questions, if you remember our evangelism session, what was the first, who remembers this? This is major bonus questions. What's the first question you ask people just to get into a spirit of conversation about the gospel? What happens when you die? Yeah. What do you think happens after you die? Again, we've moved from questions to being able to phrase questions in a way that brings up apologetics and answers. And if you're still asking people questions, then you can move right into a gospel presentation using the unsilenced tactic as much as you want. What do you think happens after you die? Do you think everyone goes to the same place? If you're guilty, don't you deserve the place where guilty people go? Now, these are all questions that have been covered in the unsilenced section. Uh, If you want it, look it up. That's also on our bookshelf, Unsilenced by James Ricardo. I would suggest buying them, okay? Um, These are two books I think should be on every Christian library. Thanks for listening to the Yak Podcast. I hope you enjoy our uh, series on apologetics. If you want more information on Yak, you can visit us at cccfrisco.org. I hope you'll join us again soon.